As we uh, begin, uh, this is uh, part two of a two-part sermon series, and the first part uh, was presented to you all a couple weeks ago, so last week we took just a brief hiatus in that, just to have a service of prayer and, and worship and a time to pause and reflect, as well as um, lift up some very specific prayer concerns that have been answered uh, in part, and so we're thankful for that. And so we're going to continue with part two today, and the title of the message uh, of both messages is the high priest of the new covenant. And in the first message, we talked about who that high priest was and why Jesus is a greater high priest. And we went through those details. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the old covenant and why the new covenant is a greater covenant than the old. And so what I'm hoping is, is that by the time that we get done, we'll actually understand what was the purpose of the old covenant in the first place and what is it, what, how does it apply to us today? What does it have a, does it have an application for us today? So that's what my hope is today. So I'm going to read our uh, passage today, starting in verse six and uh, through the end of chapter eight. It says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says... Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage. Father, I thank you for the old covenant, the law, um, as, it, uh, as it is written, as it has been presented to uh, the, uh, the heroes of the faith, Father, um, our, the patriarchs how it led and guided, how it revealed and how it prepared. And Father, I am thankful also for this new covenant, this new and better and uh, completed covenant, Father, uh, that has brought us salvation through Jesus Christ. Be with me today as I present this text, Lord, and I pray that we are, uh, that it is fruitful and that uh, we are, that we grow from it. Lord, we love you and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, there's a whole lot that we could say about this. And in fact, we could break this up into three or four lectures. And so I'm not going to do that. We're going to walk through this uh, fairly quickly. Um, but like I said, my goal is, is that we would all become more comfortable with the concept of what the Old Covenant is. Now, what do we mean by Old Covenant? Now, many of us know the idea between Old Testament and New Testament. Basically, that's the two halves, if you will, of our Bibles. 
And I have told, said this before, and it's true that if you, um, if you go to a Jewish individual and you tell them that they, that they study the Old Testament, uh, they would be offended by that. They don't want their Bible to be called old because to them, it's still present and ready and still in, enacted and applicable to their life. But for Christians, for those of us who are in the church, for those of us who have been saved by the blood of Jesus, that Old Testament or Old Covenant is now rendered obsolete. Now, I want to explain here in a little bit what that means. That does not mean that it is sinful. That does not mean that it is broken. That does not mean it's not useful. But in comparison to the New Covenant, the new promises that were inaugurated through Jesus Christ, the old covenant has now been fulfilled. It has been fulfilled. It's sort of like when you're going through school and when you pass from one grade to another, you don't have to go back to the former grade in order to move forward. You're, you're, that grade has been fulfilled. We're moving forward. And so one of the things that I want to talk about this morning and I want to share with you is the purpose of that old covenant. And I liken it in some to a race, is that if you get it in your mind, being somebody who is a typical couch potato watching Netflix through this entire pandemic, that I'm going to get back in shape, and I'm going to do so by running a marathon. I'm going to run a marathon. Well, if you decide that the marathon you signed up for on Friday is going to be ran Saturday, and you're going to complete that marathon, folks, you got another thing coming. You might complete it if you bring a four-wheeler. Or a bicycle, if we remember how to do that, okay? And so it's going to be issues there, all right? So what do we do? We prepare. So if you're wanting to run a marathon, more power to you. I ain't running no marathon. I'll drive a marathon, all right? But if you're wanting to run that, we don't start out by running 23 miles or 26 miles or however far it is. What do we do? We start off, we run a half mile. We might even walk that half mile if you're me, all right? And then we build up to a mile. Then we build up to 5K. And then eventually, maybe a year down the road, what do we do? We try out for that marathon. So all that work in between is preparing us. I liken it. I wasn't much of a runner in school. I lifted weights. And so if my goal was to, was to bench press 300 pounds. Well, if you get me under a bench press with 300 pounds and I've never bench pressed before, it's going to make for a really entertaining YouTube video, right? Maybe an unsafe one. All right, so what do you do? You build up to it. You start with dumbbells. You might start with push-ups. You might even start with those push-ups on your knees, if you will. And you eventually build up to 300 pounds. Can I get an amen on that, Melvin? Mel All right, Melvin's with me on that. All right, so that's what you do. It prepares us in many ways. The old covenant was preparing us for the new. It was setting the stage for the new. And that's an important thing for us to see. So there's much to be said, and we're not going to be able to cover it all, but we're going to cover some significant pieces. But today what I want to do is I want to distinguish the importance of that old and the new covenant. And I want us to better understand their purpose. And so let's, let's focus on the old covenant First, so when Jesus was being interrogated, if you remember this in Matthew, by the Sadducees, they asked him what the greatest, what the greatest commandment was, right? They wanted to kind of quiz him, right? Well, what's the greatest commandment? So what does Jesus say? Well, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so if you wanted to say, what was the old covenant about? What was the old law for? 
It's summarized in those two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Every one of the commandments, all of the law, revolved around those two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Let's go back even a little bit further. Before Moses, before Egypt, even with, the, with Adam and Eve, okay? When Adam sins, all right, and brings original sin into the world, okay, sin is now, now fills the earth, okay? People are now sinning, all right? That was before the law. That was before the law. And so we know that sin exists even before the law. So why the law? Well, we're going to talk about what that actually means. Why, why did the law come into existence uh, you know, many, many years later? And so what, one of the ways to look at it is that in a very real sense, the law made explicit what was already implicit. Okay? The law made explicit what was already implicit. What does that mean? It means that people knew right from wrong. People knew right from wrong, but there was not something explicitly defining right from wrong. Okay? When the law comes in at the advent of the law, now what was implicit is now explicit. It is right there in front of them. They cannot say, we are ignorant. We now know because it has been carved in stone. What was implicit is now explicit. So as a way of introduction, uh, what I want us to see is that there is a purpose to the Old Covenant as a way of preparing us for something greater. So let's look at verse 6 here. At verse 6 in chapter 8, the author writes this. He says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Now, when we read something like that, we immediately kind of poo-poo the Old Testament. In fact, I know of some individuals that ignore the Old Testament altogether. They ignore the law. They ignore the Old Covenant. They ignore all of it because of passages like this, and they are misunderstanding what the author is saying. So I want to make two things very clear. Two things very clear. There was not, nor has there ever been, two paths to salvation. There never has been. There was never a, well, this is how Abraham was saved, but this is how we are saved. That's never existed. Okay? Salvation has always been the free gift of God by grace, through faith, purchased by Christ, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. That has, that's always been the way people have been saved. Going back to Abraham, Moses, every one of them were saved by grace, through faith. The second thing I want to make sure that we understand from that phrase that we don't misunderstand is that the Old Covenant was not insufficient or deficient because of God's inability to make the covenant right the first time. So it's not as if God was making the Old Covenant and then after a couple thousand years he's like, oh, that Old Covenant's not working. We need to rework that. That's not what was happening there. All right, It was made precisely the way our perfect creator God intended for it to be made. But what we have to do is we have to discern, okay, but why? Why is that? Why did he make it such? 
Because we might read verse 7, which says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. And so you say, well, God's perfect. He's all-powerful. Why didn't he make the first one without fault? And there was no need for that second half of the book. I mean, that's a lot more reading. That makes my annual reading plan much longer, right? Why, why is that? Well, we're going to tie into it. So we may assume that God made a mistake or he was like warming up, if you will. The old covenant was enacted exactly the way and for the purpose in which God had intended. So let's walk through these eight verses and see. And the first thing that we're going to look at is we're going to look at verses 8 through 9, and we're going to look at the establishment of the old covenant. All right? So up until Moses, there, was, there were covenants. There were covenants. When we talk about the old covenant or the Old Testament, what we are referring to is the law that was delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai. So verses 8 through 12 here, they are taken from Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 through 34. And what's happening here is they are demonstrating the superiority of this new covenant, which has not been enacted yet in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, it had not been enacted. He's prophesying about it. But he is demonstrating, Jeremiah is writing by, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, promising this new covenant that was going to come, the advent of this new covenant that was going to be far superior than the old covenant in which they were resting in. Okay? And so in verses uh, in Hebrews 8 8, this is what the author writes For he finds fault with them when he says, speaking of the old covenant, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And if we go down to verse 9, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so let's just stop there in verse 9. So he's saying there is going to be a new covenant. It's not going to be like the old covenant that I gave to your fathers, all right, when I took them out of Egypt. So you remember that, is that all the Hebrews, they were in Egypt, they were under the, the hand or the foot of Pharaoh, and then God, through the uh, uh, Moses, by way of God, right, delivers all right, the people from Egypt, and then when he gets them on the other side of the river, all right, on the other side of the sea, I'm sorry, on the other side of the sea, what happens? Well, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and the law is delivered. And what is happening there is that God, through this law, is making a people for himself. That you are my people, and this is what you're going to look like. So this law is doing two things. Number one, it is showing the standard of holiness in whom our God is. That this law, all right, is an explicit way that we can, in some way, if it's possible, to measure God's holiness. This law is the standard by which you must live if you want to meet God's holiness, right? Now, isn't that impossible, right? So that's the first. But the second is that these are the standards that we have to live by. So it's a look at the holiness of God. It's also a look at what we must do if we want to make sure that we are following in footsteps with uh, with God's holiness. And so that's the law that was presented there in Exodus. All right. So what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about this old covenant. All right. And, and the overall purposes. Now I've already told you that it prepares, that it's preparing. We're going to go into that a little bit more, but it does something else. All right. And I want to pick apart three things in this point. The first is this, it reveals the old covenant or the law is revealing something. 
Let's look at what Paul says in Romans 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The idea here is it's not that covetness wasn't a sin before. Okay, it's, it's been a sin implicitly. But now that there is words on stone, it is explicit and no one can claim ignorance. All right, Sin has now been revealed explicitly to the people. What does it look like to follow God? What does it look like to walk, walk in holiness? This is what it looks like. This impossible standard that I am expecting you, the people of God, whom I've set apart for myself, this is what I'm expecting you to live by. Making, implicit, making explicit what was implicit. Sin existed before the law, but the law made that sin very explicit. The second thing that the law does is it separates. It separates. What do I mean by that? The law was intended in part to separate the people of God from the other nations. So sometimes we read all these food laws, and we read these laws about mixed fibers and garments and things like that, and like, what is the deal? What is the importance of all those laws? It is that God very specifically wanted to separate His people from other nations. He wanted to say, these are my people, and not only are they going to behave differently, they are going to look differently. They are going to, uh, their customs are going to be, there was not going to be any mixing at all, because these are my people. And thirdly, the law was actually there in part to show God's grace. Now, what do I mean by that? While God's grace is grace is most evident through Christ, it is also demonstrated through the many offerings and sacrifices that God instituted in the giving of the law. So just think about this. Israel was a wicked crew. They were a wicked crew. He could have rightly wiped them off the face of the planet just like he did in the days of Noah. He could have rightly done that, not with a flood, but with something else. There's a lot of things that God had at his disposal that he could have done that with, right? He could have just wiped them off the face of the planet. But the signs of the offerings and the sacrifices were, a demonstrate, were demonstrating that God is a gracious and merciful God. I'm not just going to wipe you off the face of the planet, but I have something greater planned for you. And so it was revealing in some sense God's grace. The old covenant... Or the law reveals that God has impossibly high standards for holiness. And it also reveals that God does not have any wiggle room. So if you're a parent, you know exactly what I mean by this. Is that when a kid does not follow your... You tell them to do something and they don't do it. Most of us, many times, do not punish that kid on the... Well, we, we tell them two or three times, do it, do it, do it. God does not wait to tell you two or three times, all right? He does not wait two or three times. Or when you get, you you are going to be grounded for a month, and that grounded for a month lasts for about 30 minutes up in their room where they have a TV and they have an iPad, okay? That's what our wrath looks like. That is not God's punishment. God is righteous in everything that he does, and he is complete. 
And so it shows that standard. And so we've seen the establishment of the Old Covenant, that it reveals sin, it separates the people of God from other nations, and it does show God's grace, but it also does something else, especially when there is a transgression of the law, and that is condemn. Let's look at Romans 4.15. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. And so what the law did, it doesn't mean that God's wrath didn't exist before the law. What it means is it makes that wrath explicit. If you do this, what, are, what am I going to do? I'm going to do this. There is absolute explicit details on your punishment if you break the law. Okay? And so it is, it's basically holding us accountable for the sin that we commit. You, God is not the parent that tells us two or three times and then holds back his wrath. He tells us once, we disobey, and there is the punishment that he said there was going to be. One of the greatest revelations of the Old Covenant is to prepare us in the, of the New Covenant, and there are two ways that this happens. Number one, where there is sin, death is the penalty. Regardless of the sin, death is the penalty. It is important for us to remember that the penalty of transgressing God's law is death. The Old Testament and the Old Covenant specifically prepares our minds for that. That sin is not a little thing. Sin is not a little thing. And the Old Covenant reminds us of that and it plants it firm in our spirit. Sometimes that is revealed in the Old Testament through the blood sacrifices that were made in the tabernacle or the temple, or sometimes it was demonstrated in the death of the transgressor. So God's wrath is serious. Breaking God's law, transgressing God's holiness, was not a misdemeanor. It demanded capital punishment. But there's a second There's a second thing that the Old Covenant reminds us of with regards to transgression of God's law, and it's this, that we are completely incapable of keeping God's law completely incapable. We are completely depraved outside of Christ. And so I've been asked many times, why did God make the old covenant if he knew that the new covenant was on the horizon? So going back to that question, right? And here is, I've thought a lot about this over this past week. And, And this is kind of the conclusion that I came to. The old covenant was a kindness of God. It was a kindness of him. And this is why it shows God's kindness by, number one, explicitly revealing what sin is. Explicitly revealing what sin is. No question marks. We know what sin is. Number two, demonstrating that the penalty of sin is death through thousands of blood. Demonstrating that there is a penalty of sin. Folks, that's a kindness. That's a kindness. When there is sin... There is penalty. And if we don't know that, and if that's a surprise to it, that's not kind. God's kindness reveals that there's a penalty for sin. Thirdly, His kindness is revealed by showing grace for not completely wiping us out in the first place. Fourthly, He reveals His kindness by revealing these impossibly high standards. He said, these are the, there's no guessing game. You know what it means to follow me and to be like me. These are the standards. And they're impossibly high. Impossibly high. And five, the fifth one, this is kind of counterintuitive, but there is a kindness 
when he humiliates us through demonstrating our failure to fulfill those standards on our own. Folks, that's a kindness to us. Because if he were able, if, if, if he refused or was not able to reveal to us that we were unable to fulfill that law, then we might be going into the new covenant saying, why do we need Jesus in the first place? If we, if we believe that we can fulfill the law on our own, why do we need Jesus? We can do the old covenant on our own. We can work it ourselves. But he reveals through the old covenant that we are completely unable to do that. And that's a kindness to us because then we are ready to accept our rescue. The old covenant prepared a haughty, arrogant, and selfish generation by putting us in our place. And if I could kind of paraphrase this thought, this is as if God were saying, these are my standards and you cannot achieve one of them by your own power. Therefore, I am going to send my son to both show you how it's done and save you from from my wrath. That's what God's doing. That is the advent of of the new covenant. Is that I gave you the old covenant. I demonstrated what the standards were and you failed miserably. That was by design. That was by design. Because if you didn't fail or you couldn't see your own failure then you would not be willing or able to accept my grace through Christ. But now you see you are completely depraved, unable to meet my standards. Here's Jesus. Let me demonstrate someone who can meet my standards because, oh, by the way, he's God. And number two, he's going to save you from me. So now let's look at the establishment of the new covenant. Let's look at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That at the right time is not just stuck in there to make poetic sense. God's timing is perfect. The advent of Christ in the inauguration of the new covenant is perfect timing. He came right when we needed Him. Right when we needed Him. The new covenant is not written in stone, but on hearts and minds. Now what does that mean? Does that literally mean that, that God took a, a very nice felt pen and wrote the new covenant on the hearts and minds? No. That does not what it, doesn't mean. That's not what it means. The new covenant is not written on stone, but on hearts and minds. The new covenant will be written on a uh, will not be written on a scroll, but with, with ink, but with the blood of Christ. If the old covenant showed us anything about human nature, it revealed that apart from Christ, we will always choose ourselves. That's what the Old Covenant reveals. We will always choose ourselves apart from Christ. And anybody in the age of the Old Covenant that were believers, any of them, they chose God, if you want to use that language, not of their own volition, but by the grace of God. 
It was by God's grace that they were even able that they were even able to do that. The idea that the new covenant is written on our minds and hearts is evidence of the working of the indwelling Holy Spirit. I believe that's what this is intended to mean. When he says it's going to be written on hearts and minds, it means that I am going to be with you, indwelling you, filling you, guiding you, teaching you, and showing you what it means to follow Christ. The Spirit uses the truth of God's Word to impress upon us the convictions of God's standards. And so that's an important truth to realize, is that the Holy Spirit is not working separately or independently of God's Word. He is working in tandem. He's working through God's Word. He's working with God's Word. He's working by God's Word. Showing, guiding, leading, convicting. And so if our greatest problem is sin... To quote Al Mohler, if our greatest problem is sin, then our greatest rescue is Jesus. All right? If the old covenant reveals our sin, the new covenant reveals our salvation. The old covenant covenant prepares us by revealing to us our depravity and incompetence to be holy apart from divine intervention. But the new covenant is the divine intervention in the person of Jesus. That's what the new covenant is. It's the, it is the intervention, the divine intervention of Jesus. First in a manger, through a lifetime of perfect obedience, as the sacrificial lamb, and as finally our risen and, and victorious high priest and king. That's the message of the new covenant. That's the promise of the new covenant. Where the old covenant reveals sin and prepares us for something new, the new covenant fulfills all the old covenant was by revealing to us Christ, who is not only going to perfectly obey those old covenant standards by f- and fulfilling them, but also saving those who could not. And that's why the new covenant is better. Not because the old covenant is wrong or sinful or broken. It just wasn't complete. It wasn't the complete story. But with the advent of the new covenant, we now have a fulfillment of the old covenant and a conclusion. We have reconciliation through Christ. The new covenant is better than the old because it is able to complete what the old covenant could not. The old covenant is fulfilled by the new. So, How does this apply? So we looked at the establishment of the Old Covenant. We looked at transgression of the Old Covenant. We then looked at the establishment of the New Covenant. Now I want to look at what it means and what it looks like to rest in the New Covenant. And so verse 11 says this, And they shall not teach one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The new covenant, the old covenant is not a legalistic covenant, folks. We, we sometimes mistake that. It's not a legalistic covenant. That was not its intention. That's what it got turned into by sinfully depraved individuals trying to reach God on their own account, on their own accord. But here's the deal. 
In the Old Covenant, in that Old Covenant existence, Israel was not just a group of believers, it was sort of this political entity as well. And what I mean by that is there was a whole host, a part of this community, all right, who were circumcised because that was a mark of the community, but they were not actually believers. They weren't believers at all, but they were part of that community. So, that's why when the author says here, and they shall not teach each one, one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, what he means by that is there's a whole group of individuals in this community that are circumcised a part of the community, but we're having to continually remind them to know the Lord or do the law, if you will, okay? Because that was how it was anticipated. So they had to keep on doing it because they were not true believers. The anticipation of this verse is that he, he says, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. The sign of them being a, a true member of the community was not circumcision without belief. It was belief. It was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is the sign of being a part of that community. That's why the author can say without a doubt, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. None of the the legalism is washed out with the new covenant. Now we are just believing upon the Lord and being filled with the Holy Spirit who is convicting and guiding us the entire way, which allows us to rest in the Lord and not be burdened by all these legalistic endeavors trying to earn God's love because Christ did the earning on our behalf. There is no more work to be done. Christ has finished it. There is no more burdens with this. There is no more effort to earn anything as it were in the Old Covenant because Christ has done the work. Now is there is just this joyful pursuit of Jesus. This joyful pursuit of Jesus. In the New Covenant, the community of believers is defined by belief or knowing the Lord, not simply by circumcision, or in our case, baptism. And so, think of it this way. Christianity is not a religion of chasing legalistically, uh, legalistically, legalistic laws in order to prove your membership to a community. Christianity is a faith characterized by individuals and corporate bodies pursuing the perfecter and finisher of our faith. We're not pursuing good works in in Christianity. That's not our main pursuit. Our pursuit is for Christ, which bears out good works. And there is a massive difference, a massive difference between those two things. In many ways, there was very little rest for the people of the Old Covenant especially those who mistook the purpose of the law. It was a life of burdensome duty and worry. But the old covenant, that legalistic grind, is gone. It is obsolete. That doesn't mean it's not important. But it's not something that we have to burden ourselves with. Christ has bore that burden. And so now we get the joy, the privilege, the kindness of pursuing Christ without being weighed down by every slip, by every stumble, by every tumble. We just keep pursuing Christ. 
And so we can be free to rest in Christ, His finished work, and faithfully pursue Him. And while we do so, we will, by consequence, we are going to be abiding by the true intention of the law. And what was that true intention? Matthew 22, 37 through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If your faith, if your faith is not drawing you nearer to God, cultivating a greater love for God, and a greater love for your neighbor, then you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. However, if your pursuit of Christ is drawing you closer to Christ, more affection to Christ, and more affection for your neighbor, then that is the picture in which that's the picture in which God, which he had in mind there. That's the aim. That's always been the aim. That's always been the aim. So as we walk through our lives with Christ and with one another, let us remember that. Let us be reminded of that. Um, when we read through the Old Testament, let's read it with joy knowing that, number one, we do not have to be fret with worrying about fulfilling every one of these laws because Christ has fulfilled every one of them in the first place. Number one. And number two, that every one of these are pointing to the goodness and the, and the kindness that Christ has already given to us. And so it's pointing to that. So we can rejoice. We don't have to wipe our brow with sweat saying, oh my goodness, in worry. We, we can just, we can wipe our cheeks for with the tears that knowing that Christ has already done everything for us and has saved us through his sacrifice on the cross.